the night that he came home. That night, he tore a bloody rampage through the world of cinema, and suddenly, trick-or-treating was lethal again. His name was Michael Myers, and the night was Halloween. Welcome to Filmstrip and our Halloween retrospective series. Here to protect you from the clutches of Michael Myers or the Silver Shamrock Corporation are Brian. More fancy talk. And Jay. We are talking about evil on two legs. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the Halloween films. It's time final. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. This is our review of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, starring Tom Atkins, Stacey Nelkin, starring. And, and Dan O'Harely. Directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. Released in 1982 at a budget of $2.5 million, grossed over $14.4 million at the box office. Michael Myers, of course, famously not a part of this installment. The idea was to use the banner of Halloween and create like a yearly anthology of horror, suspense, sci-fi films. And so Carpenter and Hill got together with this British sci-fi writer and uh, he didn't, uh, his name was Neil and he, I don't know, he produced a script and then they started making changes to it and he sort of backed away from it. And then they got Tommy Lee Wallace to direct this and as it unfolds, it unfolds. And all I want to know from you, Brian, is where do you want to sleep? Yeah, uh, well, you know, she's not that bad looking, so I guess with her it would be fine until you find out what she is. Well, uh, we'll get into that for sure. But yeah, a, a definite left turn in the series. Uh, you know, I, there's no other horror series that has done something this off kilter with itself. You know, Friday the 13th fans will go, well, what about part five when it wasn't really Jason? Well, it was still like, you know, in the Jason mask, there was still some of that going on in slasher. I mean, this would be like if the third Hellraiser was about, you know, a sandworm or something. I mean, it's a really, it's, I don't know. It's just a, an odd idea, but I don't, I don't want to fault him for it. I, I kind of like the idea because Carpenter already said, like we talked about last time, there was nothing left to say about Michael Myers. He had to invent the, you know, brother conceit to even have a, a movie. And as right. far as he was concerned at the end of that, he blew him to bits. And that was the end of that. Yeah. And uh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I you know I don't fault him either. I think it wasn't actually a valiant idea. It would have been cool if they actually done did more than just one of these, and yeah. instead of just this one and then stopped. I mean, I would have liked to have seen what they could have done with a different topic and another one. And then I think it could have probably even been successful. Not as successful as the first two Halloweens, but at least in a sense successful, right? I mean, I, I think the thing that got everybody was that. It was, you know, it was Halloween, and when you see that, it just, it, you know, people back then, you got to remember, this is pre-internet. Trailers even weren't what they are today. People didn't have wide access to that kind of stuff. They weren't looking it up on their phone or whatever, you know, in their lunch break at work. So if you saw one, it was either at a theater or maybe on cable TV. And most people just walked up to the theater and was like, oh, Halloween, I remember those last two. They did a third one? Sweet. And, you know, they didn't even pay attention to it. Walked in and then walked out going, what the hell? You know, and that was the response <laughs> that the studio got. And even though that it made money, most you know critics hated it. People were just all over this. And I would say for a lot of it, because they expected something, didn't get it, got something really different. And then for well, well, for some very good reasons, I'm sure we'll get into as we talk about the story. Yeah, and, and I think that's what the backlash mainly is: is that people are expecting you know Michael Myers Halloween, and they got something 
way different than that. I, I like to compare this to kind of like almost a Stephen King-like storyline. It, it has a feel of that. It's uh, you know, Tommy Lee Wallace says this is a a pod movie, not a knife movie, uh, like the first two movies were. And I think that's a good description of it. And I don't know. I guess before we get any further into it, maybe we should go through the plot, Brian. What do you say? <laughs> Might be a good idea. All right. So this story follows Dr. Dan Chalice as he tries to solve the mysterious murder of a patient in his hospital. He, along with that patient's daughter, Ellie, travel to a small town of Santa Mira, California. Invasion of the Body Statures fans will know that uh, town. And the pair discover that the Silver Shamrock Novelties Company, run by Connell Cochran, is aiming to use the mystic powers of Stonehenge to resurrect ancient aspects of the Celtic festival Sawa. And which uh, Cochrane connects to witchcraft. Cochrane. Well, no, it's it's actually pronounced Sawin. That's how you say it. So it's Celtic. Seriously? Yep, that is that is actually correct. So anyway, Cochrane is using his silver sam. The Cochrane is using his silver shamrock Halloween mask to commit mass murder of children while the children are all wearing the masks during a commercial airing on Halloween night, promising a quote big giveaway. Ultimately, Chalice is able to overthrow things at the plant. Cochran is zapped by Stonehenge, and Chalice gets away from the factory with Ellie, uh, who turns out to be an android that he has to destroy. And then he contacts television stations and convinces them all but one to remove the commercial as it's playing live. But the film ends with Chalice screaming for the final station to turn it off as credits roll. So we're left with the idea that you know the mass destruction didn't happen, but maybe. Maybe some of it did. I guess it's time to get into this. But yeah, you know, we've already <laughs> talked about it. Totally different premise. Totally different idea. Yeah. You said Stephen King, and I, I, you know, that's a good one. I'm like much more like Twilight Zone kind of. I don't know. Throwback to sci-fi type uh, suspense stories that I used to watch growing up on like Outer Limits and stuff. Yeah, the only reason I say Stephen King is because he built this whole world, right? Yeah. That that is has this city that's really bizarre and, and strange scenes come from it. And that's a, a common theme with Stephen King. So yeah. that's why I went down that. But Twilight Zone fits too. I mean, it's different. That's really what they were going for. So I guess they succeeded in that sense. Yeah, <laughs> but, it's, uh, it's definitely I, weird, yeah. Yeah, Stonehenge. One rock <laughs> from Stonehenge, by the way. One rock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wow. Uh, and then I, I do want to say, you know, this, Jay, it's 50 days to Halloween, Halloween, <laughs> Halloween. Yes. You love As we release this, there are 50 yeah. days to Halloween. So. <laughs> don't you don't you love the uh, the little theme song there? And again, Carpenter, no. Carpenter, <laughs> no, well, Carpenter back doing the music. And the funny thing on that was they didn't have time to write anything new. So they just went for something in the public domain and they grabbed London Bridge yeah. and reworked it into that that jingle. And it's it may be the most memorable thing about this film it's, well, it's maybe. uh maybe is is that jingle i mean it's i don't know if you're a horror fan you've probably heard it it's you know i don't know it's one of those things it's, it's funny to to listen to it and then but you still get a lot of the halloween type music i they don't really mm -hmm. use the themes from halloween anymore because it's not the same story and that i will say is a good move because that would have been really weird it's also <laughs> strange to me that the original halloween is playing on cable Throughout yes. the film, and they're referencing it. So, as in other words, this takes place in the real world while Halloween was clearly just a movie. 
Absolutely. It didn't uh, it make sense, does it not? Well, it's a little <laughs> too self-referential, isn't it? I mean, that's almost no, too I much. Think it may, I think it was I, – I like that they did that because it just goes to show this is part of this series, right? Well, I, I thought I, it was a good move. I see what you're saying, but I'm going to say this. If your intention is to move away from the other two films, it's probably a bad idea to show people those films in, oh, your, well. in your new film. That may cause a problem because people are sitting there going – but where's the Michael mask? Like, and and that's another thing. And we'll, I'll, I, I guess believe I'll... they had a Michael mask in there. No, I didn't see it. Where was it? I think they did in one of the the shops. I think they had one hanging up. Oh, that would have been a nice little callback. It would have been fun to me if those masks were part of the Silver Shamrock lineup. That would have been funny. Yeah, that would have been you know just part of the gig, right? Like that would be that would be sort of interesting. But I don't know. It lots to talk about here. Let's just go ahead and start the way this film starts. Is uh, well, can we just go ahead and just get the computer graphic uh, credit <laughs> sequences out of the way? Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's 1982, and what do you yeah. expect? Well, you know what, though? For 1982, this would have been, like, mind-blowing to people to <laughs> right? see something like this. Like, computers can do this? Yeah. So, I mean, you got to put yourself back in the times. We're at uh, Apple II Computer. Yeah. Basically, uh, IBM really hasn't taken off yet. I, I mean, it kind of. It's got DOS, so yeah. you're limited. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah. Well, I, I would like the idea that they're trying to infuse technology, and that the whole premise here is we're going to use witchcraft, Stonehenge, and technology to get at the kids. Like that. That's mm-hmm. the th- and the whole thing and the way you know, Cochran plays it off is that. It's like a great prank, but not only is it a prank, it's it's also a a sacrifice, a massive yes. human sacrifice, and that's sure. I don't know. It's, it makes this film very dark, and we'll talk about it when we get to that third act. But I do think it's one of the hallmarks of this film is this is a dark kind of nasty little tale. As as yeah. much as you know, as if Michael Myers' story wasn't you know kind of rough as he's murdering you know dozens of people, but this is. I don't know, more sinister in some ways. That was just one guy. I think any time that you, uh, your goal is to kill kids, that's pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. it doesn't get much darker than that. This is true. This is true. But, uh, but even beyond that opening sequence with the, the bad computer graphics and stuff like that, or the dated computer graphics, I guess we should say, the, the way this thing starts, you know, you, this guy running, there's no dialogue. He's being chased by people in suits. And he passes out in a gas station and gets taken to a hospital and he's clutching a Halloween mask. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I I mean, again, I remember the first time I saw this and it was several years later. I mean, I think I had actually seen Halloween four and some of the other ones after I went back to this one because I'd always been told this was the non Michael Myers story. So I just didn't go there. But when I finally did see it, I remember thinking to myself, the first five minutes of this, I have no idea what the hell's going on. Like it, they just throw you right into it, and in some ways, I think that's the strength of the film is that they don't yeah. bother setting anything up. No, and I like that. I like the first five minutes. I thought it was engaging, and uh, I liked how they did it. It was you were wondering. It had questions going to your mind, like what's going on here? What are we running from? You know, we knew nothing at the time, right? Right. And so I thought it was kind of cool. 
What about our protagonist, Dr. Chalice? Deborah Hill says the reason she wanted Tom Atkins for this is because he is not the prototypical lead hero male type. Because he, he, like, he looks like he's hammered. He looks like Jack Morris. <laughs> he kind of does, yes. <laughs> That's a great one, that big mustache and yeah. that... that you know, play, that and I, he's supposed to look hammered because he is most of the time. <laughs> he, is, he has a drinking problem. He's divorced. He's just a he's a lit, right? <laughs> like he's, and he's a doctor, so that makes you feel real good. Right. I mean, I'm <laughs> like, he's even worse than Dr. Mixter. He was clearly on a bender the night he's working on Laurie and Hell. Yeah. Dude, I'm like, and the doctors in these movies are, are terrible. But, you know, anyway. I don't think, I don't think they have good viewpoint of doctors. <laughs> apparently somebody had a bad experience at a private or something. I don't know. But, but at any rate, I... I like how this guy, though, is he is I wouldn't call him the anti-hero, but he's sort of the lovable loser. <laughs> like he can't do anything right. He goes over to, you know, with his kids and his, his ex-wife. And there's obviously a lot of tension there. And oh, yeah. Did you catch the ex-wife? A lot by of the disappointment. Way? Did you, did you recognize did you recognize the ex-wife, by the way? Um, no, I didn't. Annie, not. Annie from Halloween one. That's her several years later. So that's the same actress. Oh, did I lose you? Oh, crap. Hello? There you are. Oh, okay. All right. That's Annie from Halloween 1. Huh. Okay. I did yeah. not notice that at all. Same way. She looks but quite different. Cool. The voice is the thing that always gave it away to me. She does look a lot different in that one. But, the, uh, yeah. He, I, yeah, go ahead. Can I just say about Tom Atkins here? Yes. This isn't the first movie we've done where he's been in it. This believe is true. it or not. Mm-hmm. He was in My Bloody Valentine. That's right. He was in the. We did the remake, and he was actually in the original and the remake. So yes. yeah. So that was cool. But l- this is how IMDb <laughs> biographs him: <laughs> handsome, rugged, versatile, and charismatic character actor Tom Atkins. <laughs> I I got nothing out of that <laughs> at all in this film. <laughs> yeah, he's he's none of those things. No, he is a character actor. Rugged, maybe. He is a character genre actor. Like he and he is a self professed kind of sci fi horror nerd. He likes this kind of stuff. He was in the fog and he's in a really cheesy movie called Night of the Creeps that's that's hilarious and he's hilarious in it. And I the thing I always like about Tom Atkins is he never plays a role like he's taking himself real seriously. And that <laughs> makes him real enduring to a crowd because you don't this guy's not overly important. He's not doing what Donald Pleasance did in some of Halloween too, where he's just so, you know, over the top and Michael's so evil and he's he's really I mean he's the audience because he doesn't know what's going on either he's trying to figure it out as it goes along and I love how they decided to make a doctor kind of like a detective because that's really the role he plays here he does very little doctoring and a lot more detecting well, thank God he does very little doctor. <laughs> I don't think I want him checking me out. <laughs> I'm well, hurt, but, uh, yeah. I don't know. but anyway, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I like what you said earlier. He's kind of like the, the anti-hero or something because he, he, he's the kind of guy you definitely don't want to root for. <laughs> but in the end, he's the hero of the movie. It's like. Uh, you're giving us this lovable loser. <laughs> well, Thanks. He's, he's not who you would root for in no, normally, not. and and he's kind of a throwback to the '70s. And, um, and what a freaking player, too! Oh, big time, right? Like he's got he's, he's got the, the, the he's got the, the nurse, he's got the coroner assistant, he's right? got the new girl, and even like even bothers to ask her, "How old are you again?" <laughs> That was my favorite part. Okay. Yeah. First and foremost. They shag. They, 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 they screw each other yeah. already. 
Yeah. And then she wants to go again, and he asks how old she is at that time. At that point, dude, it doesn't matter because you've <laughs> already been there. It's <laughs> already to... in deep. Yeah, so. yeah. It's very strange how that relationship unfolds. Oh, jeez. But... It's kind of. Um... But you know, I like I like the setup of it though. The, you know, this guy comes to his hospital. He's treating him. He doesn't know what's wrong with him, whatever. And then out of nowhere, the the assassin comes in. The you know the the what we'll find out later is an android from Cochrane. Yeah. And what we to learn is that this guy is a, you know has a toy shop and he's selling masks and he goes to pick up masks and somehow or another he he figures out what Cochrane and and gang are up to, and so he goes in there to or is running away to try to expose them they chase him down and i love wow. how the assassin takes him out pokes his eyes out and like rips his nose up through oh, his face. yeah breaks his his face basically yeah I mean, that was brutal man a little bit <laughs> yeah I was, I was not expecting that um but yeah it made you wonder well what the heck because i don't think a person can actually stick his fingers in there like that and do that but uh yeah makes sense after you find out what he is exactly so. very odd and then what he goes after he does this they start chasing or the doctor starts chasing him down the hall gets in his car like uh drowns himself in lighter fluid and sets himself on fire yeah i love how he just blows himself up and and you know you're <laughs> like what what is going on here? And then as we learn out, like he's got his coroner friend, you know, finding out about the, the, you know, who this person was or whatever. And she's like, is somebody playing a joke? Cause there's nothing but a bunch of, you know, bolts and screws here. Right. And that, I mean, that's the first clue. It's like, Oh, it's androids. Right. And I don't know. I mean, this is on the heels of stuff like the Stepford wives and, you know, again, the invasion of the body standards had been remade in the seventies from the fifties. And it was this idea that these, these lifeless or uh, soulless creatures were, you know, walking around and you, you didn't know the difference of them until, you know, they died or they bled or something like that. I don't know. I, I kind of liked the, the mysterious way that all this goes down though. Again, you don't know what's happening. Now I say that I like it. And in the back of my head though, I'm going, but wait a minute, this is a Halloween movie. And I'm still having, I'm still bumping into that same thing that I think the audience bumped into. I'm yeah, wanting it's... something that it's not giving me. Yeah, and I could see that, but uh, for me, I just I knew it wasn't a Halloween movie, <laughs> so I just let myself go with the movie mm-hmm. because I knew I'm I know I'm not waiting for Michael Myers to pop out or anything like that. So yeah. I figured, why why make myself upset about that? Let's just see what this does, right? right. So I went with it. Um, after all this goes down, the the guy blows himself up, and then we meet the daughter of the guy who's just been murdered. Yes, uh, Ellie Daisy so, Melkin herself. Yeah, so, okay, I was okay with this character, she's pretty ditzy, stupid, and all this, Uh, and she totally falls in love with this doctor, but when we find out that she's also an android, why? Okay, okay, you say say that, and I, I need to throw something here, I don't think she's an android, Brian, I think they make an android that looks like her you think so? to, to throw him off. That's I believe that's what we are led to believe. That she is a real I person. I really, when really she, hope so. Yeah, that's that's what I have always understood, and I think that's what the movie tells us, because when they steal her and that sends Chalice to chasing after them, that's what they do, is they make an android okay. that looks like her, so just in case they can't kill him, she can. And she almost does. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Okay, so then what happened to her? Did she get killed? Yeah, yeah, she's dead. Assume, we assume she's dead. Okay. Yes, yes. All right, that makes much more sense to me because I really, I, I'd have to wonder um, how he couldn't tell. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, yeah. We're not even going to talk about that. Yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> funny side, uh, you know, as they get to investigating Dad's schedule and they're, you know, running around at the toy store and all this stuff, they decide, well, okay, we got to go to Santa Mira. And so they make their way to Santa Mira. And, you know, I love how they're walking, they're driving through town, and she says, this is like being in a fishbowl. And he drops this line about, yep, company town. I mean, that's something that doesn't really exist anymore. And and Well, it does. It, it actually still does. But okay. um, it's not as prevalent as it used to be. But we have a bunch of them here in Minnesota that are company towns. Okay. I'm we, glad you said that they don't exist here where I'm from in the south. So that's interesting to hear that they still exist in Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You go to Rochester, and it's basically a company town for the Mayo. Okay. Clinic, and you've got um, – Hormel uh, in Austin, Minnesota. That's basically a company town for Hormel. I mean, they exist. There's there's plenty of them here in Minnesota. Okay, well, they, and I don't, I don't know. Do any of them? I hope hope none of them are doing this. But <laughs> I would hope not because yeah. they, Hormel makes a lot of food I eat. So <laughs> yes, this is true. I prefer they don't try to poison me with my food. Exactly, or put mind controlling substances <laughs> using Stonehenge to make that great ham. Yeah. But, uh, or maybe I, that's I, their I, secret. Yeah. Right? So uh, you never know. Well, you know, we talked. You said that how they they decided they have to go to the Santa Mira here right. and figure out what's going on. Do you love how the doctor blows off his children for this? Totally. What an what an ass. Right. <laughs> I don't even have kids. Do I'm it. like, can't do it. I'm gonna be worst, there for Halloween though. Worst dad ever. Right. Oh. <laughs> Can we just say it? What a dink. I mean, why bother? <laughs> I I understood the doctor once when he has to. He's being paged and has to do it, and right. that makes sense. But to blatantly blow off your kids because you want to go chase Santa Mira and this thing, I mean, in the end, it's good because he figures out what's going on. But, man, if I'm his kids, I don't even want to see him. What a well, dick. And that's the thing. His kids have some of the masks. So oh, and and you don't know what channel they're watching. So sure. you know you can always blame it off and oh he's doing it for his kids too. But I don't think it crosses his mind because after that last phone call and that six pack of Miller High Life, he's done with them, man. Because he's all <laughs> right. about you know Miss Dark Hair with a scarf and you know <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on in Santa Mira. That seems yeah. to be his whole thing. And they check in that little hotel. And that's you know. Uh, that really awkward exchange. You and I've reviewed a lot of movies where the romantic angle just seems to be incredibly forced sometimes. Uh-huh. I don't know that I've ever seen one worse than maybe I should get another room. Well, no, that'd look weird, wouldn't it? Well, where do you want, you know, I, I, if it makes you uncomfortable, I can do it. Where do you want to sleep? And I'm like, oh, God. Right? <laughs> you know? And then immediately into the lovemaking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not only immediately into that, like he walks out of there, she gets out of the shower, puts on lingerie, and then, you know, seduces him, basically. And I'm like, right. Yeah. And now, are we to believe that he is that hot? That everyone wants to sleep with him? I, I don't, don't get it. I don't know. That is certainly the way that they play it, that there's some kind of magnetism between the two of them. And I don't there's uh, no explanation for why they get it on. The what happens though twice. while they get it on in the room while they're getting it on multiple times is, you know, they've met other people that are there to tour the plant. It's like the number one salesman and his wife and bratty kid, you know, it's, he's a, a buddy Hackett riff or something like that in a Winnebago. And then the woman who's 
mad because her order was screwed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and funny, funny side note, that's actually, that was Tom Atkins' wife at the time. <laughs> he was married to that woman. So he's in a room next door banging the hot chick and, you know, his other one is over there and she <laughs> she's the one that gets her face melted off by the chip when she starts. Now that was interesting, yeah. yeah. So what a, she, she's yeah. curious, you know, she's upset about her order. She grabs a mask and it's falling apart and she's upset about that. She thinks the quality's gone down. And then she she's sitting there getting ready to read and I think she's annoyed because of the banging going on next door. <laughs> so she gets... She notices that the the tag has fallen off. She looks at it, and there's this little computer chip on the back. Mm -hmm. And so she starts playing with this computer chip. Why, I don't know, because I'm not sure what she's going to do by rubbing this computer chip. But apparently it sets it off and blows her up with this freaking laser beam right to the face. Yeah, and like crawling out of her face, it blows her mouth open, and then like bugs and all this crap start crawling out of her. You know, real grotesque. And that's the thing. I'm like, man, for the second kill in this movie... They've gone in a very different direction. You know, the last one, they upped the gore factor of Michael's kills, but those sort of mm-hmm. progressively got there. The first two are just, they're just wrenching. It's like in your seat, you know, crunching the nose, and then yeah. the guy burning himself up that we didn't know was a you know not a human at the time, and then this. And it's all set against the backdrop of this, you know, again, this strange company town, and that the whole town apparently is built around the Silver Shamrock success. And I love that on the, the tour the next day, they're, they're talking about how Silver Shamrock was built, and it's like, you haven't heard of this guy? I mean, he came up with the, you know, all those weird little things, you know, yeah. like like the dead elf or whatever. I don't know, all the different little weird toys. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. It's strange. <laughs> but, you know, even that night, though, when, when the woman gets killed, they're trying to figure out what happens next door. And the company rolls up and says, oh, we'll take her to the factory, the best hospitals in town. And I'm like, right, the, the factory. factory. <laughs> That's what I said, too. I'm like, why would you take to, okay. Whatever. And and on top of that, too, there's a curfew in town. They all have to be in their houses by six. Right. What's <laughs> what, it, I mean, what a curfew, right? <laughs> yeah. You can't do anything. And then the best part is, is that even though curfew's called, he's able to roam around as much as he wants, get some liquor and whatever else. And so is the guy who ends up getting, uh, I guess, uh, killed or something, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, who meets him in the alleyway. There, there's yeah, people the walking guy. around past yeah. curfew. Yeah, stores open past curfew. Right, you got the drunk guy, and What's then the two, curfew? two more of the suited uh, androids, as we'll find out, meet him, and they tear his head off. Yeah, just of pull his, it out. Yeah, oh, and by gross. the way, the, the one doing that was the guy, last guy that played Myers in Halloween too. They put Dick Warlock out there, so he he's one of the the lead assassin guys. But yeah, they just I mean all these gory kills, and again, we don't really know what's happening, but. Clearly something's up, and we're getting the sense of like, okay, you know, at this point we've already seen the behind the scenes. We just don't know how it all works yet. And yeah. Chalice gets Ellie the next day during that tour, and is like, "We need to be going, dear." And you know, they're walking away. He's like, "See all these suits? These look like the guys that killed your dad. We need to get the hell out of here. You know, this is this is going to get bad." And they try to get back to the hotel. They can't get any phone calls out. You know, all this is going on, and then Ellie gets taken by the guys in suits. And so Chalice goes back to the factory and gets caught by the androids. And this is interesting to me. This felt very James Bond because now they're not only they're going to like tell him the evil plan, they're going to give him a guided tour of the evil plan. 
Yeah. And did you notice the the room where like final processing was happening? Oh, during, did I notice it? Right. During the tour? I noticed that they called it final processing. <laughs> <laughs> I yep. thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Ron, you've worked in uh, you know different places where they you know things go through different stages and stuff. Are there like you know offices labeled so obviously? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. not that I'm aware of. I mean, yeah. I guess there could be, but I've seen a lot of manufacturing plants in my day, and I've never <laughs> seen one that was that had that going on. <laughs> but, but when we get to final processing, I love how Cochran gets this long monologue, this walk and talk, and Dan O'Hurley is funny to me because he's in he's in different stuff. I mean, you recognize him obviously from this, and if you've ever seen the last Starfighter, he's behind a ton of makeup in that, but he's. That's him. But I love the way this guy talks. He's just got this great accent, this deep voice. And I love how he's walking through like, Stonehenge. Oh, you won't believe what we had to do to get here. And I remember <sighs> there was this little clip on the news in the first you know, two minutes about, and a rock yep. is missing from Stonehenge. <laughs> and of Put course, it all together. Yeah, and of course for me, you know, I hear Stonehenge and I, I'm just a, you know, a nerd and I think like, you know, Spinal Tap. Cause that's I just... think that's Elvis. <laughs> I I don't. <laughs> What's the meaning of Stonehenge? <laughs> but but yes, yeah, Stonehenge. Now let's just talk about that for a minute, okay? I remember the Time Life Mysteries of the Unknown series, whatever that book series was. Remember that? And there was one of them that was all about Stonehenge and the mysteries of Stonehenge. And so when I see this movie, I can't help but think of that. And just the, oh, you know, the, the ideas of what Stonehenge was and could yeah. be. And, well, I don't know. What did you make that as a plot point? It seems a little, um, well, it's, it's about as well, out there as anything else in this movie. We are talking 1982. Mm -hmm. They still probably had no clue what it was about. So I guess a lot of people believed it was part of some kind of cultish or, or ritual or witchcraft thing. So I guess it made some sense to use it, but I thought it was kind of stupid. It is. Especially it. since they took only one stone. <laughs> well, we only needed the one, right? And I like, guess. what are they doing to it? Uh, it looks like they're like carving in it a pattern of some sort, and I, yeah, channeling some of. The, see, that part is is a little underdeveloped for me, and I don't need everything spelled out. But in a movie that takes ten minutes to spell out the evil plan, they <laughs> do skip some rather important details. Like at least make some shit up. <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, yeah, I think that the, the the Celtic cult that he belonged to had some kind of practice at Stonehenge, and that's why he needed a piece of that. I, I but I'm not 100 percent on that. Yeah, that is a little clear. But but now this, then I wanted to talk about this because when he straps Chalice down into the chair, he, you know, he well, first off, he shows him all this stuff going around and they, they show, you know, here's Stonehenge. Here's what we're going to do. Oh, by the way, you're worried about your girl. There she is. And you see Ellie strapped to this table. And what we'll learn later is that's Ellie, the Android, but we don't know that at the time. And so, and then he says, now we're going to see a little demonstration. And he puts the cup for family, the, the lead salesman and his wife and kid in a room and nothing's going on. And he's like, I, you know, the, the salesman's like, I don't know why this guy won't talk to me about next year. I've never seen anybody like that, you know, and especially because he yeah. apparently was the best salesman of the year. And so they start playing the commercial on the TV. So the little kid puts his mask on. And then, I mean, probably the most gruesome thing in the film happens. The mm -hmm. kid's face melts. He falls to the ground and out of it crawls all these, you know, tarantulas and bugs and poisonous snakes. And they essentially kill his parents in that room. And Chalice yeah, they kill is, everyone. Yeah. yeah, and Chalice is watching all this on closed-circuit television. <laughs> 
that's the best part. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Pay per view. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's watching the whole thing. They have monitors on pretty much everything in town, so mm-hmm. that's one of the key things there. But yeah, definitely uh, an odd thing. But uh, goes to show what his plan is, and that, I guess his plan is to use the children to kill everyone. Yeah, I guess because right? it, it, it would kill the parents and everything else that are there. Yeah. But uh, man, what crazy. Well, then it is. But then he straps Chalice down in this chair, puts a mask on him, and begins to tell him, you know, you don't know a whole lot about Halloween other than just sending your kids out to look for candy. You know, it used to be this, you know, festival where the hills ran red and, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. It, and it gets, I mean, the the tone goes from what had been kind of tongue-in-cheek. Let's just face it. The whole thing, nobody's playing this seriously at all, except for this one minute where Cochran is putting the final touches on that speech. And he, I mean, the look on his face, the sinister look that that guy starts giving, I'm like, man, this, this movie just got really dark, really quick. And I'm not going to lie. That's my favorite part of this film is that last, that, that bit where he's really setting act three in motion and he's telling Chalice everything that's going to go down. First thing that comes to my mind is what the hell is wrong with these evil people they have to detail tell their nemesis the exact plan that they're gonna do why can't they just lock them in a room and make them watch it and not tell them what's happening i mean come on hey man scotty he goes in details scott this is how we do it (laughs) hey man scott evil agrees with you let's just get a gun and we'll shoot them together i mean yeah but it is (laughs) it is the trope of of the film right and I you know I, the way I've actually I've heard I've heard people explain that to me is that well when the evil person does that it's because they're so supremely confident in their plan sure. that they think there's no way anybody would get out of it and of course it's a storytelling point it's to tell all of us what the hell's going on but right. but yeah it does it always seems ridiculous it's like I'm sure Al Qaeda is not sitting around telling anybody you know what they were going to do you know that's not how you it really would hope works. not yeah that's not how it really I mean you would works. hope they would but well you'd hope we'd find it out but yeah but. You know, no, that's not how it, how it works, you know, but it it leads us to the point. But I, what I had a question for you is, how does Chalice cut himself loose out of that chair? Because I don't know what he gets out of his hand that he cuts the chair off with. Uh, he busts the TV, right? Oh, and then okay. he grabs a shard of the busted up TV to cut, cut Cause, himself. Because the androids aren't paying enough attention to his closed circuit feet. Well, he covered it, remember? Well, yeah, he does. He does. What a great throw. I know. Fantastic. <laughs> I guess he's not only Dr. Suave, but uh, he's also uh, Jack Morris in real life because he can pitch that hat right up there. There you go. <laughs> Back to your Jack Morris. But he gets Ellie, and I think you should. we should have known something was up with Ellie from the beginning because the one thing that none of these androids do and that she never does is they never speak. And they have this look on their face that is sort of emotionless. And he's sort of unaware of it. But I, I remember the first time I saw this, of course, that was a big twist that she's an android. But watching it in you know, retrospect, you see it now. It's like there's something different about her. Like he should have known something was up. I, I guess. I mean, like, I, like you at first, I thought, wow, she's an android. And that really threw me for a loop, uh, to say the least. But um, it makes more sense to me that they would have killed her off and then made her made an android version of her to throw him off. 
Yeah. And I hope that's what they really wanted to do because otherwise, yeah, weird. Yeah. Yeah. No, she was. <laughs> and, I, I, and really, I don't think she was. An otherwise, yeah. otherwise, that meant that they knew that this doctor was going to figure them out and come after them. Yeah. See, because that, they sent the android. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think she was an android when they met. She became, they've turned, they made an android of her after they captured her thinking of it as a backup plan to take him out should he succeed at taking them out in the uh, in the building. Yeah. Or maybe that it would be such a distraction he would go after her and then it would turn on him. I don't I don't know, but I don't think she's an android the whole time through. No. Yeah. But the the whole chase thing goes down in the the factory and I, this is where the movie starts falling apart for me because they they have to have ways for him to defeat all the androids and you know clearly he can't just get in fights with them because they're they're too good i mean he gets in a fight with one of them earlier and it's you know it takes a long time for him to take one out so he gets a box of the silver shamrock chips and he like dumps it on them and then turns on the silver shamrock song and all the chips go off and just sort of blows everybody away in a big circle right um, is that really what it was? Because I know he took the box and dumped it on them. Right. And and but it, there was something else that was going on. I think that caused them to laser out. Was it the song? Well, it's the song. Like the song is the trigger. Yeah. And so somehow or another, he turns that song on on all of them, and it goes off. And you know, even Cochran catches him doing it. Looks up at him and gives him a little golf clap, like good trick. And then. Does he, I mean, does he is he destroyed by Stonehenge or does he just materialize back into Stonehenge? I don't know what happens. He that's a very weird, uh, inexplicable moment there. Yeah, he just kind of disappears. He, tur- he turns into the emperor, and then, <laughs> then he's then he's swallowed by blue light and he's gone. He kind of looks like a cross between the emperor and one of those things in in the climax of Superman three that the computer is shooting out. You know, it's sort of that same effect, right? Yeah, it, it's a very much that effect, and and I, I don't know if that just means that he was a warlock or whatever. I mean, it's not a witch because a witch is a, a female, but right. maybe he was a warlock, and this took him away and put him back into a, like a other dimension or something. I don't know. Yeah, we, it we doesn't never, really get explained. Yeah, we never see him again because the last of the film is Chalice running away with uh, Ellie in a car trying to get somewhere to get a call to the TV stations. Remember when there were only like three networks, Brian? Oh, the quaint days. I do remember that, actually. <laughs> yeah. So that was, yeah, kids, it was in our lifetime that happened. I do remember that, too. <laughs> and But, of course, before he can get there, Ellie attacks him. And I love how that comes out of nowhere. Like, she starts just clawing at him. And, you know, that's when he realizes she's an android. And that's a multi-staged fight. Like, it takes several blows with the tire iron to, you know, de-head her. Mm. And then her arm is still in the car <laughs> and still attacking you. That's straight out of Evil Dead. I, I kind of liked all that. I thought it was funny. Yeah, I mean, it was good. And, and they played it well. I, I kept expecting, you know, other body parts to come after him then. But uh, <laughs> apparently the brain uh, or the main computer may, must have been up in the brain and once it was severed for good, it didn't have any life left. Who knows? I don't know. Very strange Android thing. Well, I mean, we, we've talked about Androids on stuff before. I mean, dare I bring up Ted, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so from the second season of both the Vampire Slayer? <laughs> you want to play oh, some yeah. more cheesy? You know, and then she smacks him <laughs> with a frying pan again. You know, so, And that's pretty much what Chalice does here, too. So part of me wonders if yeah, the people of Buffy weren't somewhat referencing this when they saw that. Yeah. Anyway, he gets to the gas station, probably, right? And I love how the gas station attendant is also handing out Halloween candy. I don't know about you, that didn't happen in my hometown. Like, that just, no. Um, uh, yeah, it kind of did. 
Oh, really? Okay, well, then I, you grew up in a different place than I did. So. Yeah, we had businesses that did hand out candy to kids who came by, yep. Yeah, and they all come by, of course, wearing the silver shamrock masks. Of course. Right at the time that the commercial is playing, the big giveaway, and Chalice is on the phone, and he convinces, what's amazing to me is he actually convinces two of the stations to turn the thing off. Over yeah, nothing his, more his than argument, just, yeah, his just, argument was pretty darn good, though. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I have nothing, no proof. I have no proof, but you gotta believe me. <laughs> yeah, and they do. Okay. But, but it leaves on that hang, cliffhanger moment that you gotta stop. You gotta stop, and that's that's a total throwback to the 1956 invasion of the body snatchers. You're next. You're next thing. You know that's at the end of the, if you've ever seen that, and that's purposely done. They wanted it that way. But Tommy Lee Wallace and the studio had a big argument about this. Like they did not like the ending. They said you can't end on this downer note. And what allowed him to win that argument was he said, Well the Empire Strikes Back ended on a real down note. And that was good a comparison. Huge... Yeah. Somehow or another the people said, Oh yeah, it'll be just like the Empire Strikes Back. Except you know, not nah, coherent it's... at all. So <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that allowed us to get away with it. But that th- this is a time of change in cinema. You know, it happened in the mid seventies. Is that people got tired of the downer, you know, endings? We were coming out of that as a country, and people just wanted their entertainment to be escapism and to be fun at the end, and at least feel good about it. And you know, the end of Halloween one. It, you at least felt good that evil had been put to the side, but he was still out there. Halloween two, it was pretty definitive what the end of that was. At least we thought, yeah. right? This one, that they wanted it more open, and I, I won't fault them for that. I think it is a charm of the film, if, if you know, nothing more. Yeah, I agree. I, I won't fault them for it either. I actually like that it ends on a suspense. You actually don't know what happens right. if they turn it off in time or not. We we will never find out. I like that. It leaves you wondering what happened and thinking about the movie at least and wondering if you'll ever find out, which thankfully we never did. <laughs> we did. And I, I will say this now. I am really suspense, in suspense about what you're going to say next, because it's time to get final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. What are yours for Halloween 3, Season of the Witch? All right, and I think the bonus for me is that I'm coming into this brand new. Right. I have no preconceived notions that the uh, franchise needs to be Michael Myers for everything, which it will be from now on. <laughs> So I was able to, I mean, you you forewarned me that this is the only one that didn't have Michael Myers in it. Mm -hmm. So I knew going in, so I thought, okay, well, let's just watch it as it is. The acting was horrible. (laughs) It was was just really bad. There's no no excuse. The acting was terrible. Dialogue was suspect at times. Our hero wasn't really heroic (laughs) of a person in my mind to be cheering for. Um, But I like the concept. I like the town thing. The, the townspeople are all indebted to this Cochrane, mainly because they have to be, or they will die. Um, I like that idea, and I thought overall the story itself was pretty decent. So I'm going to actually go and give this a medium popcorn, because I actually did get enjoyment out of this. Now, my wife, on the other hand, thinks it's one of the biggest piles of crap she's ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> but... I, I got some enjoyment out of it, so I'm going medium popcorn. My wife's quote at the end of this, when we finished watching it, as I was watching it for this review, was, so what exactly about that was Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> 
true. Besides that, it was set on a holiday. And I said, I think that's exactly what Mustafa Akkad said, the executive producer, when he got a hold of this. Now, for Halloween fans, fans of the series, obviously this one is the. It's hard to like it because it's not what you want. It doesn't hit your sweet spot with you know the Michael Myers stuff and all that. But just as a wacky sci-fi kind of odd B film. I think this works. Now, it's crazy, and it's you know very inexplicable. And you're right. The hero is not much of a hero. He's a bad person to root for. The acting in this is it's leprechaun-ish, let's just say it. That's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's on that level for what stuff we've seen, right? Like, you know, well, some of these people could have been extras in No Holds Barred, too. Like, you know, at least the androids. Like, they could have been some of Brel's, you know, hitmen for the studio, for all we know. So it's it's pretty bad, but... There is a cheesy charm to this that I rarely can resist. And this movie comes on a lot during Halloween. AMC runs it a lot. And I always end up watching parts of it. And I'll tell you, two, three months ago, I mean, back in the spring, let me back that up. Back in the spring, Brian, just on a random day, I happened to flip on the television, one of the networks, and this movie was just on, just for no other reason than they were just playing Halloween 3 that day. And I stopped and watched it, at least for a little while. And so <laughs> I always will, will pay attention to this. I do think it is good, cheesy fun. It's not nearly as good as the first one. It ain't even close to that. That's a classic. It's not even it's not even a good slasher film, but it is a good kind of weird one-off suspense film. I always kind of think of it as if this had just been Season of the Witch, and that's still a weird title for this movie, it would probably not be, you know, as hated by some folks as it is, but I, I do think it's good. I think it's fun. And on that level, it's, it is medium popcorn territory. And I think it's a lot, uh, an enjoyable thing. And I will say this now, having done it, it is a very fun thing to watch with a group of people because you can have a good time just sort of laughing your way through this. And I dare any of you to listen to that theme song and not have it stuck in your ear for a day because oh, yeah. it will do it to you. So I'm, it will. yeah, I'm going medium popcorn as well, but cool. as we've said, that's the last detour off the Myers train we're going to do, or at least off of the Michael Myers as one of the characters in the film. I won't say it's off the train because I know what's coming, but uh, we'll, we'll get back to him in our next chapter and uh, oh, yes. with uh, part four. And so until then, folks, thanks for joining us in this latest episode of the film strip. You can go to our website, continuousplaypodcast.com and find links to all of our different shows, the art of slaying, the Buffy, the vampire slayer retrospective that Brian and I have done all seven seasons of Buffy there. You can find, link to Brian's latest podcast adventure, Squared Circle Flashbacks. Yes. We talk about the wrestling world as it pertains to the WWE Network. If you don't know, the WWE has a very large catalog of wrestling shows, pay-per-views, television shows, all sorts of stuff that goes back to 1983 and their first starcade from WCW. So all the pay-per-views for WCW, WWF, WWE, and uh, ECW. And so we kind of take in a handful of those and re-watch them, revisit the era, and talk about them uh, through the podcast. It's very fun. Yeah, very cool stuff. You can also find links, of course, to the, the film strip shows and all of our archives, the many things that we've reviewed there, and then also link to the Fabish Factor uh, discussion podcast led by Kurt Fabish. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, folks. And if you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. We always appreciate your support. Until next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip.
Thank you for listening to our Halloween retrospective series. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes, like our Facebook page, and visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies, for more episodes. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of its respective owners and is used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504, C2, Title 17.